presented by Electronic Payments Coalition. Hey, good morning. It's Playbook co-author Eugene Daniels. It is Wednesday, January 24th, and there's only one thing driving the day today, and you guys know that is the outcome of the New Hampshire primary. We got Republicans and Democrats giving us some numbers today. And so join me now from Concord, New Hampshire, to talk about everything that went down is my colleague, the man himself in New Hampshire, Ryan Lizza. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Eugene, and good pronunciation on Concord. A lot of people get that wrong. I didn't want to get in trouble. I'm scared of the people. Now, Ryan, it is just after 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. I'm looking at the TV right now, and Donald Trump is projected the winner, obviously, but also is about 10 or 11 points in front of Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley came out first today, which is very smart for the person that doesn't win, because <laughs> you can, you can try and, and, and set the expectations. How do you think her speech turned out? And in New Hampshire, it's usually where the second place person kind of fudges the numbers and pretends they won. It's where we got the yes, we can speech from Barack Obama. It's the comeback kid speech from Clinton. Shout out to Zach Stanton, our historian who looked up all these in our group chat. How did you think her, her speech measured up and saying what happened? happen tonight? Look, yeah, she did this sort of typical things you do when you want to take credit for coming up short. She came out right away just after the race was called. And she gave a speech that sounded not that much different than um, a speech uh, you might give if she had actually uh, was actually ahead and, and had won. Although I, I didn't think... I, this is a little bit more of the, in the in the realm of theater criticism, but I, I didn't. Her heart didn't seem in it to me. The enthusiasm didn't s- seem there. But let's put that aside for a second. Um, she says she's going on. Uh, you know, she says she's uh, going back home to South Carolina, where the entire political establishment is has endorsed Donald Trump, um, and she and she's down by uh, a much larger margin than uh, any of the polls in Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and you know, things don't look great. Her plan was to come in second in Iowa and to win in New Hampshire. And that was a credible plan a week and a half ago that looked possible and she didn't do it. And you have to actually win to win. So she says she's going to South Carolina. That's in a month, basically, right? So that's a month of spending money, getting on the road. She does have the money, right? She is going to be fundraising even more. Her campaign has talked about in California, New Hampshire, and Florida. So she's not going to have an issue with getting money. But do you think she has done enough to kind of keep the wolves at the gate, the people who are not just like Trumpy who want to see him be the nominee and telling her to get out, but the other folks, the people who have the money, the people who are in the establishment, what used to be the establishment of the Republican Party, because she's still very young, right? And so she does have to think about what her future in the Republican Party is like. She can't piss off everybody. Yeah. And, and look, given her political situation in South Carolina, given the fact that it is her home state, and yet Trump is just crushing her there, and that all of her old enemies in the state, and she has quite a few, are against her. She had to sort of come back to South Carolina as the conquering hero, as the person who vanquished Trump, you know, in Iowa by coming in second, that would have been considered a a kind of victory, and in New Hampshire by actually winning and showing everyone back home that, hey, there may have been things you didn't like about me, and I know you love Trump, but... The party 
is moving on from him. And, you know, she could afford, you know, maybe she could have forced an actual debate. You know, she wants to debate Trump. Maybe she could have done that. But the she hasn't accomplished, she came up just short of what she needed to do going into South Carolina. And the electorate in South Carolina is a Trump electorate, right? It is not an electorate where she would do well. Yeah, it's a very, you know, the South Carolina Republican electorate is one of the most conservative electorates in the country. It's very Trumpy. She hasn't been in office in a long time. So in, in a lot of ways, it's not her state anymore. It's not her Republican party down there. And so, Again, the way to have fixed that was to show everyone in South Carolina by putting points on the board in, in Iowa and New Hampshire that, that things uh, were changing. And she, she, she came up short. Yeah. I mean, it's the Obama playbook from 2008, right? Like when Iowa convinced everybody that you can actually win this thing and then go get the momentum from there. She doesn't have that. Exactly. You have to make a case. These early states are pretty punishing. You have to make a, a, a case that there's, there's some reason that the contest should go on. And if you look at the exit polls, that is the electorate where you can beat Trump just because it allows so many Democrats and in, independents and moderate Republicans play in that primary. And, you know, she, she did well with uh, independents or what they call undeclared, but not that well. Like they, it was two to one and that's not enough. Uh, other thing that I thought was interesting is the, the gender gap in the exit polls was just not enough for her. Trump won men overwhelmingly, but they basically split women. And so Republican women are not rallying to her side. You know, that's a a weakness for her. That's Haley. But let's talk about the winner, Donald Trump, right? Trump on stage brings out kind of his vanquished (laughs) enemies, Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, to, to talk before him. What was really interesting to me, and I'm curious what you think about this speech, was when it was in, when he was in Iowa, when he won Iowa, he kind of came out and was magnanimous. He thanked, without saying their names, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. He, try, you know, he did the thing you were supposed to do, but that is the exact opposite of what he he did tonight. What does that tell you about how his campaign, him, are thinking? I have to say, this was one of those election nights where the. the speeches were were actually interesting yeah. <laughs> and revealing. And we talked about Rarely why the Nikki happened. Haley one was. Yeah. And with Trump, as you point out, Eugene, obviously he's has no has no history of uh, of being consistent and you cannot count on him to be consistent. But everyone took note of that Iowa victory speech where he was, you know, he, he was very said very nice things about DeSantis and, and, and about a lot of his other rivals, and he was in, using these very measured tones. He came out tonight so angry <laughs> and actually <laughs> talked about in real time saying, I was going to do the traditional victory speech, but, <laughs> but I'm pissed off. <laughs> I'm so pissed off. That she did what every other candidate (laughs) always does, which is spin their loss as best they can. And for some reason, it really got under his skin. And I think at one point he he noted that Vivek kind of got him spun up too. And as a pair and with with Tim Scott thrown in there also, they went one after the other to the podium and kind of – uh, attacked Nikki Haley instead of doing the obvious political thing you do, which is ignore her, say, take credit for your victory. 
and say on to the general election and Joe Biden. And instead, he, he, he made fun of Nikki Haley's dress. He said it was fancy, but not really fancy, Sugge- you know, suggesting it was like, you know, a cheap dress or something, like really gross yeah. stuff. Yeah. And she got so under his skin. And I, if you're the Biden folks watching that, it's a reminder that for all his newfound discipline, and his campaign is more disciplined and more organized, he's still Trump. His irritation will get the better of him. Last question before I let you go. The Democrats, technically the first time they've, they had a primary, but then it's not a real primary because South Carolina's the first primary. We don't, we don't know what kind of punishment New Hampshire's getting for, for going first um, and, and bucking the DNC's rules. But Biden, who was not on the ballot following the rules of the, of the DNC, ends up winning New Hampshire. We don't really know the exact margin because the counting is happening. It had to be a write-in ballot because it's a write-in campaign. Dean Phillips, the congressman, getting around 20% and single digits for Marianne. Does that tell you, is he, he, he looks like he's in a much better place than Trump is in his primary, right? Like are you thinking about both of these men as um, kind of incumbents. Yeah, I would say it's about as good as as Biden could have hoped for, given the complications of a write-in campaign and the you know the general cranky nature of New Hampshireites who do hold it against Biden that he tried to kill their beloved primary, and the polls were all over the place going into Tuesday, and some of them had him down in in the fifties. So, um, in terms of the expectations game, I think he met or exceeded expectations. He sort of hit a low bar and he cleared it. And the Dean Phillips story doesn't seem like it's going to have much steam uh, in it. He says he's going to continue on, but there'll be a little bit more Trump and Haley drama, I think. But otherwise, tonight was the beginning of the general election. Probably the longest general election we've ever had. And, and Biden's, uh, Biden's statement on tonight's results that the, that the campaign sent out basically is only about Trump. It doesn't even, it doesn't even mention Nikki Haley. It, it starts, it is now clear that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. Also, some interesting things that happened today. A little bit of shakeup at the Biden campaign. Jen O'Malley Dillon, who's currently the deputy chief of staff at the White House, is headed over to the campaign. She was his campaign manager in 2020. And Mike Donilon, his messaging guru in the White House and is currently serving as senior advisor in the White House, is also going to the campaign. So they are clearly changing things a little bit over there, trying to do it on the quiet. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Absolutely. All that put together, right? The Biden campaign's preparing for the general election. He cleared the bar in New Hampshire in terms of the fake primary. And Trump got a little bit of a scare, but nothing serious and is going to be the nominee, clearly. So 286 days to the general election. And I think we know who the candidates are going to be. <laughs> Lord, that's a very long time and a short amount of time all at the same time. Ryan, sir, thank you, thank you, thank you. Stay warm out there in New Hampshire. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Eugene. And for your schedule today, the Senate is in and the House is out. One thing to watch out of this is whether or not we're going to see any bill text on the immigration slash national security bill that is supposed to be coming this week. President Biden is going to be giving remarks at the Auto Workers Union Conference here in Washington, D.C. I'm Eugene Daniels. Thanks for listening. 
On Main Street, credit unions and community banks are the heart of our small towns. So when these institutions are united in opposition to the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill, Congress should listen. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill favors corporate megastores, shifting costs and risk unfairly onto Main Street banks. Congress, protect credit unions and community banks and oppose the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill. Learn more at electronicpaymentscoalition.org.